Hey folks, have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you've been listening to the Whitfield Report for a while and you're starting to think to yourself, hey, you know what? I could do this podcast thing, but where the hell do I start? Well, folks, I've had a lot of friends ask me that in the last few weeks, and I'm here to tell you all that Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. This means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. You're damn right that's what I'm doing. And what I like about Anchor is that whether you're a novice or an expert, it's incredibly easy to use. They have uh, great tools that you can use to record and edit your podcast if you're a novice just starting out. Or if you're like me and you're an old pro at this, you can bring your own tools and record your audio and then upload the files yourselves. Whichever way you podcast, it's extremely easy to use Anchor, and I highly recommend them. So get started today by going to anchor.fm forward slash start. And I can't wait to hear your podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Now go out there and make some podcasts. episode of the Whitfield Report for 2019 and the final episode of the decade, I guess. Uh, Welcome to this uh, very special edition of the program and I am uh, pre-recording this on uh, Monday so you guys will be hearing this uh, on New Year's Eve and yeah, I realize, uh, you know, it's not the usual Saturday edition, but, um, you know, I wanted to do one more shot than end of the year, so I want to thank you for joining me. Uh, you know, even though this is technically pre-recorded. Uh, contact info as usual. You can follow me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at semw underscore NDC, hashtag Whitfield Report. You can follow me uh, on Gab and Minds at Sam Whitfield. Um, Facebook.com forward slash Whitfield Report is the Facebook page. TheSamWhitfield.com is my website. Um, So ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you all for uh, joining me here here uh, in the past, present, future hour, whenever you're uh, watching and or listening to this. 
uh, if you're on the auto podcast. And by the way, if you are uh, listening to this on the audio podcast, whether it be uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, uh, please uh, leave the filter a five-star uh, review rating if you like the show, um, you know, and help us get the numbers up. Uh, if not, you're, uh, if you don't like the show, well, you're banned. You're banned. I've got a tomahawk in my hand. Nah, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, if you don't like this show, uh, well, you know, what can I tell you? Um, but regardless, folks, I want to, uh, you know, take this, uh, last, uh, episode of 2019 to not only reflect on the year that I've had so far, but also to reflect on the past decade and uh, not only for this show, but just in kind of politics um, and, uh, you know, the culture war and podcasting uh, in general, too, uh, because there is a lot that has happened. And uh, I want to first off begin by uh, reading something to you from my website, uh, thesamwitfield.com, and I will, of course, link this article uh, in the description for you guys on both the audio podcast and on YouTube, uh, but I want to read for you basically a, a summation kind of, of my origin story and uh, how... I got my start uh, in podcasting and in this whole, uh, you know, uh, you know, game of podcasting, because it really is, um, you know, it really has been one hell of, a, hell of a journey for me, and it's not over by any stretch of the imagination. So I want to read this article for you. It, it's a uh, it's a little memoir piece I wrote back in uh, 2017 uh, for a, for like a conservative uh, college magazine. Uh, I wrote it and then they never ended up publishing it, so I ended up publishing it on my own uh, website, thesandwichfold.com. And uh, I will be writing on that site a lot more too, by the way, but let me go ahead and... Uh, read this for you. This is titled, uh, My Journey Through the World of Conservative Media as an American with Physical uh, Disabilities. And uh, for those of you watching, uh, you guys can see this on your screen now. Donald Trump's presidential campaign was revolutionary in ushering in a new age of conservatism for America. While he might not be everyone's ideal definition of what a conservative is, quote-unquote, even his biggest critics have had difficulty denying his ability to reach out to groups that the Republican Party has traditionally had a hard time reaching, such as independent uh, voters, LGBT citizens, and African Americans, to name just a few. Those on the left have had an extremely difficult time with trying to comprehend how and why so many quote-unquote minority groups 
could vote for a Republican like Donald Trump. Ironically, it is the left-wing separation of quote-unquote minorities into different victim groups that has driven more and more of them to adapt conservative and or libertarian principles and vote Republican at an increasing rate. I know this because I myself am a minority due to the fact that although I'm a straight white male, I am in fact physically disabled and require a wheelchair for mobility. Although I have been in the political commentary arena since I was 14 year old, years old, I feel that now is the perfect time to finally tell my full story of how I discovered conservatism and my continuing journey in the political media landscape over the last nine years. Now, by now, folks, this uh, article is actually, you know, it was written back in 2017, so really I've been in the political arena for 11 years. But anyway, let me uh, continue on here. Uh, growing up in a wheelchair certainly had its disadvantages due to the fact that I couldn't just run around and go like most of my friends and go like most of my friends. And this increasingly became true just before I entered high school and the infamous party scene began for most of my classmates. Uh, Despite the fact that I couldn't always physically participate in normal adolescent activities, I still was able to develop interests and hobbies of my own. With politics becoming one of them at the age of 10 or so, during the 2004 election. My parents are both politically knowledgeable, with my father being an independent, with liberal leanings on social issues and a more center-right slant on fiscal and foreign policy issues, while my mother is more of a true conservative with a libertarian view on social issues. As a result of their diverse viewpoints, I was constantly exposed to both the ideas of conservatism and liberalism on a daily basis. However, it was ultimately Rush Limbaugh who made the case for the conservative ideology and way of life. I remember sitting back in the back of my mother's car hearing Limbaugh explain the fundamental differences between the big government agenda of the left and the small government case for being conservatism and realizing how much it made sense to me. From age 10 on, I would listen, I would continue to listen to Rush whenever I could, which was mostly during the summers when I didn't have school. I would politely engage my, engage my teachers in political discussions while discussing history and civics, and although I discovered that many of them were liberally slanted, they were still very polite. It wasn't until 2008, during the presidential race between then-Senator Barack Obama and John McCain, that I realized my political voice needed to be heard. I was 14 and well-versed in conservative principles by that time. My impression of Obama was that he was a nice guy who simply lacked political experience and flip-flopped on way too many issues for my liking. I actually really liked him as a person, but his policies, or lack thereof, just weren't doing anything for me. Yet, when I brought this up to my friends, they called me a racist. I remember being asked, how could you be against the first black president by some close 
friends and being shocked at the accusations of racism. What made it worse was the fact that political correctness, as we now know today, was starting to emerge and take control of the millennial generation's many innocent and gullible members, turning them into free speech hating, cry baby safe space needing zombies for the far left that you see today. I call them zombies in the nice way possible because so many of them were and still are unaware of the of the quote unquote right way of thinking. In a sense, I guess one might say I saw this coming a mile away when it first started, so I did something about it. Because of my physical disability, my ability to type has always been difficult at best, and back in 2008, voice to dictation software sucked, so blogging was out. Uh, and folks, not so diverse too much from the article, but that was uh, true. Most of the uh, dictation software uh, back then was very expensive, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and in order to use it, I would have to talk like this in a monotone voice with zero inflection. I could only say so many words so many times and this really became troublesome uh, as my voice started to crack and I was going through puberty. It's a lot better now of course ladies and gentlemen but anyway back to the article. Um, I just so let me, let me go back to the article. Ahem. I decided to take a page out of Rush Limbaugh's playbook and started my podcast, which would eventually be named The Whitfield Analysis. For the first two years, my podcast really didn't do that well. No one really knew what a podcast even was, and social media was still in, an, in its infancy, where no, where no one knew if it would last. Then in 2010, everything changed with the Tea Party Revolution, the rise of Andrew Breitbart, and conservatives taking over Twitter. I started finding other teenagers and college students who shared a passion for conservatism. Andrew Breitbart was the second biggest political influence in my life, with the third being radio host and attorney Hugh Hewitt. And yes, folks, I know that, uh, you know, Hugh Hewitt went never Trump. Uh, I'll get to that in a, I'll, I'll get to that later. Uh, the time between 2010 and the end of 2011 was a glorious time to be a young conservative. Uh, unfortunately, 2012 was not kind to us at all. First with the sudden death of Andrew Breitbart who was an icon and hero to many millennial conservatives such as myself. And then with the gut-wrenching re-election of Obama, whom by that time had shown his true colors in wanting to tear down the idea of American exceptionalism and replace it with a far-left, borderline socialist system. Or the, uh, you know, the deep state, as it's now, uh, you know, known, folks. Uh... 
Yet through the entirety of Obama's presidency, I never stopped giving up on the fight for conservatism. I've met so many wonderful people who couldn't care less on visibly disabled and more about our, our common love for America. On the other hand, the social justice warrior left continues to put disabled people into the same victim class as gays, blacks, Latinos, etc. I've realized that many who identify as liberal have good intentions of helping, but there are also many of those who simply exploit these groups and demographics for political power, and even worse, have no have no problem with beating a disabled person to near death if they're in the wrong race or social class, as demonstrated in Chicago. Uh, remember, folks, that was when that uh, young disabled man was beaten and scalped uh, by a bunch of hood hoodlums in Chicago simply because they thought he voted for uh, Donald Trump. That wasn't even uh, true. Okay. Now, uh, coming to the close of my uh, essay. My point in writing this long essay-like post is that conservatism and its principles are well worth fighting for, no matter who you are. Although I initially wasn't a supporter of Donald J. Trump during the primaries, it was honestly incredible to see so many people from different walks of life band together to defeat a tired symbol of corruption in American politics, that being the left, of course, and work to make America great again. And, uh, folks, you know, so that's the uh, article again. I wrote that in, um, you know, 2017. So it's a few years old, but still incredibly uh, relevant there, I think, you know, ladies and gentlemen. Um, you know, definitely relevant. Now, I will say this. Um... You know, obviously, ladies and gentlemen, most of you uh, guys also know that one of my big breaks came from interviewing uh, Ben Shapiro. I've discussed, you know, how that all came about, and I actually reposted uh, that episode fairly recently. I want to say, like, you know, two or three months ago to the podcast, and I think it's also... Um, on the Whitfield Report YouTube channel. Um, I will say that, you know, I've, I'm not like a total fan of the establishment, you know, conservatives or the Never Trump uh, movement. I do understand that, uh, you know, Shapiro's not, not perfect. Uh, you know, I've, there's some stuff I disagree with him on now, but, uh, you know, for them, and of course, Hugh Hewitt is, has become a big never Trumper now. Um, you know, he's kind of, he's another one of those kind of like old establishment, uh, neocon, you know, GOP people. Uh, with that being said, I started this at an extremely young age and 
I might not be the most, you know, famous and viral podcaster slash, you know, commentator, but I think in a way I've made my own mark in the political sphere and I, I've changed and I've, you know, evolved. And that's just something that you do as you uh, grow older and uh, gain more life experience overall. At least that's what, you know, uh, mature people do, right? So, you know, I've, I've, I've been in politics for a, for a long time, and, you know, for the most part, I don't have really, I, I really don't have any regrets, um, so to speak, except for, you know, maybe a few, you know, early episodes, and granted, there have been episodes, you know, more recently where I haven't always had the best, you know, show sometimes because uh, screen quali- quality, you know, or audio quality gets messed up or clips don't load properly or, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, not everything is perfect, but I think that the one thing that I've done well is I've been able to uh, grow an audience organically so far. And, you know, and when I'm on top of my game, I can, you know, keep people interested. I think I'm a good interviewer. That's one thing I enjoy immensely is interviewing uh, people for the show, too. And, you know, I've had uh, some tremendous guests on as well, especially, you know, in this past year with, um, you know, uh, with Sean and um, Dictator Phil and Alex, the host of uh, Versa Media uh, and the and the heads of uh, TPUSA at uh, Penn State. Those are some of my favorite guests. I've had Robbie Robertson on uh, the audio podcast, who's not really a political guy, but just, you know, a fascinating podcast uh, host to talk to. He does a good podcast as well, Out of the Blank. Uh, Jimmy, of course. Uh, Hajim from Great Britain, who who I'm friends with over, you know, at the on the uh, Gavin McGinnis Discord and subreddit over there. Um, He's good. And, you know, granted, I haven't had, like, too many big, uh, you know, big name uh, people on for a while. I'm hoping that will change in 2020, uh, ladies and gentlemen. But the other thing that I've realized, too, and this is important, I've talked a little bit about this, But I have also come to realize in the past year, folks, that, you know, while I enjoy politics and whatnot, it's also just podcasting in general that I enjoy. And, you know, in a way, um, you know, that's, that's why I do the show. It's not necessarily because of the politics, although, you know, that is where I get my audience from, but it's also, I like discussing movies and pop culture and just conversing with people in, in general. In fact, 
the best podcasts that I've had this year are when I've had long form discussions with people about uh, various topics. And, uh, you know, like like the folks I named above. And, um, you know, listen, I've gotten a lot of comments, you know, like, you know, there are people who don't like, you know, Shapiro or, uh, you know, Milo or Gavin or anyone else. And that and that's fine. You know, uh, we don't have you don't have to like everyone that I like. And, you know, there are there are people that I disagree with, too, on, on the right. We don't we don't all have to, uh, you know, necessarily uh, agree with each other 100 percent. But I do think um you know, as I said, I like to hear from a diverse, uh, you know, group of people from within the liberty movement. And, you know, also if, I mean, up until really the whole, you know, uh, gummy incident uh, took off, you know, I, I was willing to have a reasonable conversation with, you know, even like Owen Benjamin and... um you know, if he were, uh, you know, saying, but, uh, you know, and I don't want to get into that whole, uh, thing again, but, uh, anyway, I just like having conversations with people. That's why I, I podcast to this day. And I'm hoping that you guys, um, you know, continue to support the show. And, uh, as always, I'm, Always willing to hear, uh, you know, feedback and what you guys like, and hopefully I'll be able to take some calls um, in the coming year, some live callers on the Saturday show. And uh, I don't want to make too many announcements, but I might be adding a co-host uh, here too at some point because that's the other thing, folks. When I started podcasting, uh, you know, I would, I would do podcasts like this where I would just be in a room monologuing. Um, you know, in front of my microphone, uh, and, uh, you know, just watching the, the, re the, uh, waveforms in audio software on my computer. That was literally how, you know, I used to podcast back in the day. And then, you know, only, it was only like about a year ago, really, uh, less than two years ago, even I, moved over to YouTube and started growing this podcast and uh, made a whole thing. So again, folks, like I said, uh, you know, I'm extremely grateful to, uh, you know, all of you and to everyone who has made this uh, podcast uh, tremendous. And uh, I do want to... Uh, you know, I know that this episode is a little short for the official, uh, you know, last episode here, here, but, uh, you know, let's see how we're, we're doing on time. Uh, well, we're only, we're only 25 minutes in, um, I suppose that I could pull up some uh, clips for you guys. For you guys. Uh, so, 
hold on a sec. Here light is in Genon. Uh, let me let me minimize a few things here. Uh, okay, and uh, you know, pull up some things. So. Uh, I will go, let me go to YouTube here. Uh, sorry, folks. You guys are watching me do some behind-the-scenes stuff. Apologies to those of you uh, listening to this on the audio podcast. I know that this is just a bit boring, but uh, anyway. Um, let's see. I'm trying to find, uh, the clip of Breitbart here. Um, Okay, so I want to play this uh, clip of Andrew Breitbart where he explains the Democrat media complex because this uh, right here, ladies and gentlemen, was really one of the uh, turning points for me politically where I really understood, um, you know, how the how the mainstream media uh, was controlled by the left and why. The new generation and the culture war is really uh, important. Let me. Okay, let me uh, go full screen here and switch the screen uh, up, switch over to video. Okay. So this is uh, Andrew Breitbart on the Democrat media complex. Uh, clip number one, go. You describe in righteous indignation 
a privileged upbringing in Southern California. Exclusive schools, very comfortable circumstances. Your parents weren't particularly political, but they were more or less conservative. And then this, I'm quoting from the book. Through some form of osmosis, I considered myself a liberal. How come? Uh, my parents didn't fight for my, uh, to, to maintain what it was they were teaching me through their deeds and their acts. They are very silent generation. I grew up around uh, uh, with friends who had younger baby boomer parents and they were very uh, forthright in their politics. They would go to their rock concerts, they'd go to their rock for Campuchia, they'd fly to Philadelphia for Live Aid. And I remember my mother would watch uh, 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 Lawrence Welk on Saturday nights. The juxtaposition, <laughs> the juxtaposition of that's not a hard choice. You well, want where it, the action it, was. It was, and so as much as I loved my parents, uh, the the flow towards my friends and their parents' way of life and way of thinking was the most natural thing in the world. An important moment comes when you you know uh, the man who will become your father-in-law. The comedian and actor Orson Bean, known to people of a certain generation from To Tell the Truth, known to people of another de generation from Desperate Housewives. <laughs> and you, at, well, here, I'll just quote to you from Righteous Indignation. One day I asked Orson why he had Rush Limbaugh's book, The Way Things Ought to Be, on his shelf. I was convinced to the core of my being that Rush Limbaugh was a Nazi, anti-black, anti-Jewish, and anti-all-things decent. Orson simply suggested that I listen to him again. And what happened when you did? Well, it was the 1992 election cycle, and at that <clears> point I thought I was a liberal, and I started listening to, to Rush simply because uh, my alternative radio station had turned into a grunge rock festival. I loathed Kurt Cobain and uh, Eddie Vedder so much that I switched to the AM dial out of desperation. And so that's really, I, I have to thank grunge music for turning me into a conservative. And I remember the first month or two thinking, well, I may not agree with his politics. Thanks, Kurt Cobain. Very cool. But at no point have I heard him intimate anything that appears to be racist, sexist, or homophobic. Mm -hmm. And I started to ask people around me, have you ever listened to this Rush Limbaugh creature? And they said, yes, he's a racist, sexist, and a homophobe. I said, okay, I need some help here because I've been listening now for months as I'm driving on LA freeways delivering scripts. He's not. He's not. And what I realized was, is I believed to the core of my being that I had listened to him. If you had given me a lie detector test, I promise you I would have passed because with conviction, the culture, the 60 Minutes report on him, all of the things that I had been told uh, reflected that negative stereotype. But I, in fact, had never assessed him myself. And recognizing that the mainstream media doesn't necessarily tell you the truth or tells you the truth from its ideological standpoint, Became, became this panacea for me where I started to challenge the mainstream media. Again, from righteous indignation, Limbaugh, like the professor I always wanted but never had, created a vivid mental picture of the architecture of a world that I resided in but couldn't see completely, the Democrat media complex. Describe the architecture. Well, it's the matrix. I mean, it really, for me, it was... If you've ever been to Coney Island and you see those holograms 
where there's a picture of the Empire State Building and you're supposed to squint and you squint and you squint and you can't see it, but eventually you see the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> and you're like, and like, and then once you see the Eiffel Tower, you can't not see the Eiffel Tower. And through every day, Rush Limbaugh analyzing the source material of the world, the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, ABC, CBS, and NBC, mm -hmm. he was able to create for me a, a very vivid uh, picture that the people who were allegedly objective and neutral reporters and journalists were the, the front line of, of the political battle. And they used their objectivity as their greatest weapon because they were telling young impressionable people like me who believed in Woodward and Bernstein and who believed in uh, Walter Cronkite, wait a second, you're telling me that perhaps ideology played a role in how they interpreted stories or how they chose one story over the other. And so then the matrix or the Democrat media complex became everything to me. In fact, when discussing politics, I always turn it back to the complex. It's always about seeing the world and hoping that people see the Eiffel Tower. So this is, you're listening to Limbaugh in 92 during that election cycle, right? Mm -hmm. And you remain, what I'm... Okay, so I want to uh, stop the clip here for a sec and uh, go back, right? I, uh, I'm on camera right now. I want to, uh, you know, break this down a bit because this is honestly you know a bit fascinating to uh watch here if i'm if i'm being honest because Breitbart is right the the democrat media complex and really the mainstream media um you know they've had a stranglehold on the inf uh you know on information for the last you know 30 years and it really wasn't until, uh, you know, I mean, Breitbart kind of broke the, the mold a bit. And, I mean, Limbaugh certainly did back in the day. But in terms of my era, you know, when I started doing this, it really wasn't until the, uh, you know, until the 2016 election and the era of Trump that um you know all that that we as new media figures i as a podcaster and all my uh you know contemporaries really began to be taken seriously and honestly as i've i as i've stated before i i wasn't uh a big i didn't hate trump in the beginning, but like a lot of people, I didn't think he would win because he was so far out there and he was such a genius, you know, troll that I kind of figured there's no way this guy would, you know, win in a normal election. Uh, but as I also wrote back in 2015... Uh, you know, to quote Andrew Breitbart here once again, I will vote vote for whoever the uh, you know candidate is because if we don't, we lose to the left and we lose, 
you know, to Hillary Clinton, especially. And, uh, you know, I got shit from a lot of uh, fellow, you know, college Republicans and young conservatives, quote unquote, who ended up going never Trump, you know, but I also found, uh, you know, I guess kind of common ground with the new age of, you know, what what's called, you know, punk rock, you know, conservative, the, uh, you know, the alt conservatives, not necessarily the alt right, but just kind of the, uh, you know, the folks who weren't afraid, you know, to be politically, uh, you know, incorrect and whatnot. And, you know, I kind of helped uh, spearhead head that a bit. And, uh, you know, now as a result, we, like I said, we have uh, people like Versa, you know, the folks over at Versa Media, uh, Sean and Alex and, you know, those guys, I, I do shout them out a lot. Uh, you know, we have me, we have, uh, Jimmy Hodgem, who is hilarious and, you know, needs a, a bunch more people. We have Apex Gamma, who, you know, is still new to the political game relatively. Uh, granted, you know, he's, he mostly clips Owen stuff, but I've, uh, I've had him on here for some political discussions and, uh, you know, he's... He's pretty good, too. So, uh, you know, there are lots of young conservatives out there who are, you know, doing uh, God's, you know, work in 20, you know, right now and fighting back against the Cold War. And then we have, you know, we also have, you know, people like Robbie Robertson who aren't necessarily as political as I am, but they're open to, uh, you know, diverse discussion and they're sick and tired of the whole politically uh, correct, you know, kind of shit show out there. Um, I think that that is one thing that we can all kind of agree on, is that political correctness is becoming a cancer, uh, hugely, you know, so. Um, it really, It really is. Um, I mean, another big influ influencer in the, in the past few years for me, for me personally, uh, Joe Rogan. And I know that a lot of people think that Joe Rogan is a gatekeeper and that he's, you know, a, a shill or whatever, but I, I don't think he, I don't think he is folks. He, he might not be, uh, you know, a hundred percent conservative. He might be, you know, pretty far left on some socials use I certainly don't always agree with what he says but I like the fact that he's willing to talk to uh you know people who are seen as controversial I mean he's had Alex Jones on twice who you know is one of the most controversial figures out there um so to speak Alex Jones himself you know I I, I really uh am starting to like he's you know he even though he's become somewhat of a meme, he, uh, embraces it, uh, completely and totally. Um, obviously Dennis Miller is a huge influence of mine as I discuss, as I've discussed before, and, uh, People have also asked me if I'm still a fan of Nick Apollo, and the answer is, uh, you know, yeah, I, I like Nick. I think that Nick is, 
you know, it's pretty good. Uh, you know, I, I, I know that he kind of, uh, you know, got caught in the quagmire of the whole, uh, Owen and never controversy and that whole thing. And, uh, you know, not, but Nick, Nick's a, a, a pretty good guy for, for the most part. Um, you know, so, you know, overall, it's, it's been a pretty, uh, you know, damn good decade for me in terms of podcasting in general, you know, starting the show as the, uh, you know, as the Whitfield analysis way back in like, you know, 2008, growing that, uh, you know, I launched two podcast networks, wasn't terribly successful with them, uh, you know, and then kind of started doing my own thing in 2015 and 2016 and, uh, you know, started diversifying the podcast and so far it's been, uh, pretty good so far. So, uh, you know, anyway, folks, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, there's not a whole lot I can, uh, complain here. I think the, you know, the future of the podcast is looking bright and, uh, I will be having, uh, you know, much more to discuss. And like I said, this, this is, you know, technically the, the final episode, but I may have, uh, one more actual live stream here. So, you know, for the purposes of this episode, I'll post this the final, uh, you know, episode part one. And then if I can get a live stream together, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, New Year's, I will do that. So anyway, um, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you so much for, uh, you know, tuning in and, uh, you know, watching and listening to the podcast wherever you are in the past, present, future hour. Uh, from all of us here at NGC Studios, have a happy new year. Uh, you know, God bless and God save this great nation. And I will see you all in uh, 2019. And I'll maybe do a short episode, uh, you know, later today on New Year's Eve. And my folks, I want to thank you. God bless and God save this great nation. Thank you for uh, watching and or listening to the Whitfield Report. And uh, have a great day. Hey there, folks. If you've made it this far to the end of the podcast, I'd like to thank you very much for listening to the show. You are the ones that make it possible for me to uh, make an income from podcasting, and I greatly appreciate that just by listening to our show. You are helping us gain ad revenue. However, if you would really like to uh, help support the show, I encourage you to please donate to the podcast and become a supporter of the show you can head over to anchor.fm forward slash Whitfield report and click the support this podcast button and uh, choose the amount that suits you to support the show 
or you can click the link in the show notes and it will directly uh, take you to that page. If you can support the podcast, I really, really appreciate that. Anything that you can do to uh, help out is greatly appreciated. Even if you can't afford to uh, help financially support the podcast, I encourage you to please go on iTunes uh, or Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and please leave this podcast a positive five-star review. That really helps us out here at the Whitfield Report. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next episode.